He's doing well. Well, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 24. We start a brand new section of Proverbs. And tonight, Lord willing, we're going to look at the first six verses. And uh, I don't think we'll get any further than that. Uh, but uh, as you can probably tell, our Awana clubs have started back. And so we've got a lot of folks over there involved in uh, Awana. Pray for them. Proverbs chapter 24. In the first two verses, we're going to we're going to again look at something we've already uh, spoken about, but God knew we need the repetition. And the first two verses has to do with the warning against evil company. Uh, somebody was talking earlier about uh, well, it was Jason talking about how young people need direction. And uh, this is certainly one of those areas that I wish back whenever I was a boy that somebody would have pulled the reins in on me and uh, that I had been aware of what a ill effect bad company can have on a person because uh, uh, it, it, it can be devastating. Verse number one says, Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. Now, back in chapter 23 and verse 17, he warned us about uh, exactly the same thing. And so now he's given us another warning. And, uh, and notice how he starts here. Be not envious against evil men. And I, regardless of what generation you live in, there are instances where it seems like that evil people have all of the advantages uh, and I'm sure that you can think of a situation, you can think of someone that has absolutely no concern about spiritual matters, uh, they don't care anything about other people, uh, they're uh, not generous, they're unkind, and everything imaginable, but you look at them and it seems like that they are prospering, and uh, it might be because of their celebrity status, it might be because of their income it might be because you know they're on the top rung of the social ladder in the community or whatever it is and if we're not careful we'll find ourselves uh, being envious of people like that and maybe even have a desire to be with them uh, you'd be amazed at what some people will do just to get close to somebody that's well known. They'll break their neck and do all kinds of silly things and make a fool out of themselves just so in some ways they can rub shoulders with, with people that are well known. There, I forget the name of it now. There's some kind of a, some kind of a program that comes on. Let's see. I guess it's right before Wheel of Fortune every night. It's about celebrities. Uh, that is the most sickening thing and, I mean, I, I've never watched it all the way through, believe me, but that kind of stuff just sickens me to think about, it. and especially whenever you get some, some entertainer, you know, that's still wet behind the ears and thinks he knows everything about politics, religion, and everything under the sun, and their celebrity status gives them a platform, by the way, uh, speaking to millions of people as a result of that, like they're some kind of an expert. Well, that troubles me, but it troubles me more to think that we've got millions of young people that idolize people like that. 
and they'll sit and they will listen and 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 it and the young children are really susceptible. Yeah. And, and 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 you you think about them you you think about uh, this Hannah Montana Billy Ray Cyrus but his daughter's Hannah Montana you know uh, my, yeah Miley, Miley Cyrus and, and wow she's got to be one of the most filthy vile human beings on the face of the earth. It, if, if if you read some of the stuff that comments that she has made and things, it's unbelievable. But a lot of those little kids that started out admiring her as Hannah Montana, you know, and they now think, you know, she's the greatest thing in all of the world. Well, the same thing happens with movie stars, with uh, sports stars, and, and that desire to be like them. And as parents, we have an awesome responsibility to teach our kids that character is what counts. It's not how popular you are. It's not how rich you are. You know, it's not keeping up with the Joneses. It's what you are. That's your character. That's more important than your reputation. Reputation is what people think about you. Your character is what you really are as a person, and that's what counts with God. And so that's why he's giving us this warning here. Don't be envious of those who are evil and don't even desire to be with them. Now, that look, that doesn't mean you mistreat people like that. You certainly shouldn't do that. It, it doesn't mean that you're to be rude to, you know, to people like that. But don't desire to be with them. Don't be envious of them because mark, mark it down. Notice they're described as evil people and they're the losers. They're, why would you want to, why would you want to be like those that, that are losers? Because in the end, those that are evil have to give an account of themselves to God. And we, we certainly don't want to be in that group. Well, verse two continues, uh, Basically the same thought for their heart. So this is the connection to that verse for their heart. He's talking here about those people that might be envious of evil men and desire to be with them. Their, their heart studieth destruction and their lips talk of mischief. So here's a couple of examples as to the characteristics of people that we're not to keep company with. Notice, their heart studieth destruction. That's speaking about their evil desires, about their intent, about uh, their schemes and their plans. And I can remember as a boy, unsaved uh, boy that should have known better, and, and uh, us guys that all run together, we'd sit around and talk about what, how we could entertain ourselves that night. You know, whether it was turning over some outhouses or, or whether it was breaking out some windows or egging somebody or whatever it was, you know, we do, what, what can we do now? Man, this is boring. Nothing going on. What can we do? Notice that he's talking about people that they, their heart studieth destruction. So, and that word destruction, by the way, in the Hebrew, uh, implies violence. So here are people that are trying to figure out some way to show violence against others. And, and that same thing's going on in our world today. And these are the very kind of people that we ought to disassociate ourselves from. Now notice, and their lips talk of mischief. 
so that that implies that they lie, they slander, they're speaking about mischievous things that they can do. And uh, certainly we wouldn't want to admire someone like that. We wouldn't, wouldn't want to emulate someone like that. They're not worthy examples of us or certainly for our children. And so we are to hold those kind of people at arm's length. Now, you, you know, when we talk about this matter of separation many years ago, some some Christians, some preachers, I think, went to an extreme with that. They felt like that we ought to be so separated that we didn't have anything to do with anybody. Didn't believe what we did. I, I had had a good friend, and and and, and the, the the sad situation is that one of the church members had done something that was wrong. It became necessary for the church to excommunicate this fellow. And uh, and the, these two guys had been friends for forever, nearly known each other for years, and so sometime after that, the one fellow uh, who had been uh, excommunicated from the church, uh, they, him and his wife needed a vacuum cleaner. The other guy sold vacuum cleaners, and so he went over to his place of business, wanting to buy a vacuum cleaner, and he said, "I'm going to sell you a vacuum cleaner." So I'm not going to have any business dealings to do with you whatsoever. You know what? Why? Well, because, you know, you committed such and such sin and the church had to, had to excommunicate you. I don't want anything to do with you. Wow, what a, what a horrible impression to make on people. You know, the very purpose of church discipline is to correct people, not to punish them, not to get back at them, to exercise vengeance, is to bring them back into the fellowship of the Lord. And so, you know, when Paul spoke about this matter of separation, and, and then he, he put a little attachment there at the end of it. He said, and yet not altogether, for then we must needs go out of the world. We'd have to, you know, hitch a ride to a different planet and go somewhere else. If we're going to totally separate ourselves from evil, we can't ever get away from it. So we, we've got to strike a balance. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And while we're in the world, we need to behave like Christ and demonstrate a spirit of love toward those people that are described here as evil. And, and we, we need to love them nevertheless. But by the same token, we don't want to become best friends in the sense that we associate with them lest we become like them. And by associate with them, I'm talking about, you know, being their best friend. I'm talking about being in relationships with people like that to where you know that it's going to lead you to compromise what you know is right and wrong. So he starts out this chapter with this warning about evil company. Now, verse number three, down through verse six, he begins to speak here about the need for wisdom. And, uh, and, and of course, here we're going to see that wisdom is the very foundation of domestic stability it, and, and our happiness. We'll see that in just a minute. It's the source of human strength. And those are basically the three things that he's going to deal with in this section. And so um, having warned them to avoid the company of evil men, he says, through wisdom is a house built, and by understanding 
it is established. Now, I'm sure we all realize that the word house there is not used in the sense of a structure. He's not talking about the building that we live in, but rather he's speaking about the household or the family. And uh, so he's telling us that the very foundation for for domestic stability, the foundation of society is wisdom. And notice the word here, established. And that means to be kept in a state of continuance or given, uh, given, uh, uh, made perpetual, uh, something that is continuing. And it happens as a result of wisdom and understanding. We live in a day where well, a lot of people enter into marriage with the thought, well, you know, if I don't like it after a trial run of a few months or something, we'll just, you know, we'll just get a divorce. And, uh, and, and people enter into relationships with an attitude like that. And you almost know from the get go, this isn't going to work because I'll guarantee you, you you're going to have problems. There are going to be difficulties. And the only way for a family to remain established is for, uh, for the people there to live by wisdom and understanding. Uh, back in chapter number 3 and verse 19, there's a verse that says, The Lord, now get this, the Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. Now let me tell you, if that is true, if wisdom and understanding was the very means by which God brought all of creation into existence, how do we think we can build our homes, our families, without wisdom and understanding? We can't. We're, we're, we're absolutely going to fail. Successful marriages don't just happen. It's something that happens as a result of something that we do. And that something is to have wisdom and understanding. Uh, you know, as, I, as I'm reading this and thinking about it and commenting on it at this very moment, I'm thinking about instances of stuff going on right now where there are people that are just on the verge of doing something really just, I don't know how else to say it, really stupid, really foolish, and, and making decisions that are going to prove detrimental to their well-being and, uh, you know, anybody on the outside looking in can see it, but they're blinded to it, you see. And so that's why we need this warning here that is through wisdom and it's through understanding that we're going to be able to, to build our homes. You know, we can build a multi-million dollar house, but we can't establish a family without wisdom. And we, we sometimes, you know, we hear about... Uh, some celebrity getting a, a divorce, uh, and, and, you know, we wonder why. You know, I mean, why would they get a divorce? They've got millions of dollars. Everything is going their way, and it's a rarity. I, Chuck Berry, the, you know, the famous singer, died the other day, and, and, and he and his wife, I, I heard on the radio or something, been married like 60-some years, and I thought, wow, that is absolutely unbelievable for somebody in the position that he's been in all of these years to remain married to the same woman all of that time. That just doesn't happen anymore, especially among those kind of celebrities. Well, what, what causes the breakup of all of these homes? It's a lack 
of wisdom. And that's the means whereby that we have to, uh, to, to maintain and establish our homes. Well, naturally, naturally we, you know, we begin to think, all right, how do I get that kind of wisdom? Well, it comes through fellowship with Christ because Christ is described in the Bible as the wisdom of God. Think about that. that that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.24, Christ, the wisdom of God. So if we're going to have wisdom, and remember James said that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth liberally and upbraideth not. God has wisdom available for us, uh, and, and that wisdom is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of the wisest people you'll ever meet might be a uh, might be a farmer out here in a pair of bib overalls. Uh, it might be someone that's you know didn't even graduate from high school. It might be someone that doesn't have any special talent, but they have wisdom. Notice verse four. And by knowledge, by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant. Riches. Now, this is all about a matter of prosperity here that's gained as a result of knowledge. You know, so many times we do stupid things and then we expect to prosper and it doesn't happen that way because knowledge enables us to prosper in this world. Sometimes we've got the idea that all we need is sincerity. And if we're just really sincere, really put your heart in what you're doing, really do the best that you can, and everything's going to turn out all right. You'll be a success, you know, if you just do that. You just, you know, really devote yourself to what you're doing. Let me tell you right now, I've I've known people, and you have too, that were as sincere as they could be, but they made foolish decisions that proved to be detrimental to their well-being. And, and and they they were not successful because they kept making one foolish decision after another. So regardless of what the endeavor is, regardless of what area of life we're talking about, every one of us needs wisdom. We need understanding. And and the Bible not only stresses the importance of it, but it tells us that we ought to search after it. You know, we people are all the time looking for different things in life. Some somebody wants to be rich or somebody wants to be famous or somebody, you know, whatever it is, they've got their goals set before them. But it's very seldom you see someone that says, I I just want God to give me great wisdom so that I can so that I can serve him, so I can be a blessing to others, so I can do the right things and do it in the right way. Because, look, you can be sincere and drink a bottle of strychnine poison and die if you're thinking it's cough syrup or something. You better be right about that. And wisdom enables us to take the knowledge that we have and put it to its proper use. So he says here, by knowledge shall the chambers, that is the rooms, the chambers of your house, be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Well, you know, it must not be a sin to to prosper. Think about it. You'd be surprised. I, Michael Berry, some woman called in, is talking about uh, the racial issue and uh, racism and, and and so forth. And 
And let's face it, that's it's a reality. It's always been that way. Some people will will forever be that way. But there are other people that it's not you know a matter of uh, of of race. Is you know that that's not the dividing issue. It's uh, the matter of uh, jealousy, where he starts out here being envious of those that have what we don't. And a lot of times it's the poorest person that is the most guilty of that. And, and it's like some people got the idea, well, it, it must be a terrible sin to be rich because you can't be rich unless you're out of the will of God. Well, oh, yeah, you can. And Solomon was the richest man in the world, and here is a man that God was using. It tells us that we're not to seek after riches, but God enriches us, and notice the means whereby it happens is through wisdom and understanding. And so if we apply ourselves to wisdom and understanding, the result of that is that we're going to prosper at least to the extent that God allows us. Now, verse 5, a wise man is strong. Yea, a man of, of knowledge increaseth strength, for, for by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Now, in, in both of these verses here, we see wisdom is the source of our human strength. In the last verse, it talked about how it makes us successful. Well, here it shows us how to make us strong. Well, I, I, I don't know. What do you think of whenever you hear the word strength? And, you know, if, whenever I was a kid, it might have been Superman, you know able to leap over tall buildings in a single bound. And, uh, and, you know, every every kid back then was listening to the radio and the story about Superman. And you think about his the mighty powers that he had and so forth. And But even today, most people, when you talk about strength, they, th- they think about physical stature. They think about mental prowess or maybe the political clout somebody that is strong in those areas but you can have all of those things and still not be strong because you can't measure strength by the size of your biceps or how much weight you're able to uh, to lift or how much influence you have over other people those are not evidences of strength in the in the truest sense of the word and so a lot of times we attribute strength to people that that don't have strength at all. My definition of strength would be that strength is that inward quality of the soul that enables us to do what is right regardless of the circumstances or the consequences. That inward quality of our soul that enables us to do what is right regardless of the consequences or the circumstances, that's strength. And, and you just, uh, and, and, and I did, in fact, just sat down and, and just jotted down some things that are characteristic of strength. It's the, the power to love those who are unlovely. That's strength. Because, you know, our natural tendency is for people, you know, that are unlovely, people that mistreat us, ignore us, abuse us. You know, our attitude is I've got to get even with them. You know, sometimes people say, well, I'm, I'm going to get it even if it's the last thing I do. And it might be the last thing they do. You better be careful about that. Strength is a willingness to forgive those that uh, uh, that mistreated you. 
It's the courage to be different from those that are wrong. It's strength is the faith to trust in God for the things that you need. It's the being willing and daring to try something that's different, something that's difficult. It's patience to wait on God instead of, uh, you know, running ahead of Him. You just wait for Him to untangle the uh, the knotty issues in your life. It's the ability to hope. When all things seem lost, it's a determination to keep going when everything seems to be in vain. That's what real strength is. And you don't have to be six feet tall. You don't have to be bench press 400 pounds. You don't, you know, you don't have to do any of those things. That's what strength is. It's strength of character. And regardless of how feeble we are in our body, regardless of how educated we are, uh, we, we need this kind of strength that comes from wisdom and understanding that enables us to, to do the right thing regardless of circumstances or, or consequences. Lord Byron said many years ago, he said, knowledge is power. And, and, and look, according to what we've just read here, he had a reason for making that remark. Knowledge is power. And Solomon's telling us that that strength comes from wisdom, it comes from knowledge. You look back over here in the Old Testament and you see God saying to Israel, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now think about that. They had every benefit afforded to them that they could possibly have. God had chosen them. God had delivered them from bondage. God had blessed them in every way imaginable. He even labeled them as my chosen people. He was going to use them to be a light unto the Gentiles. In other words, they were to be his witness in the world. So there was no reason for them to be ignorant. And God had entered into covenants, a covenant with, with Noah, a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with David. So he enters into all of these covenants that relate in some way to Israel and their prosperity. And yet the very thing that dragged them down and destroyed them was their lack of knowledge. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm really, I, and I know we're talking about spiritual truth here. But I'm really amazed by those that uh, that have a bad attitude about education. And, I, you know, I've told some people about me never going to Bible college. That's not something I've ever bragged about. I don't brag about that. I don't even recommend that uh, that other preachers do what I did. But but I've been around some preachers when they heard that. It's like, yeah, boy, yeah, that's great. You didn't go to Bible college. What? What difference would that make? Look, you've got to get wisdom and understanding wherever you get it, however you get it. And for some, it requires that discipline of the classroom and what have you. It it reminds me of the farmer said to the city preacher, he said, the Lord don't got no need for your book learning. And the preacher said, nor doth he have any greater need for your ignorance. And, and, And that is so true. Uh, Henry Ford, uh, the wise inventor, said, Anyone who stops learning is old, whether this happens at 20 or 80. Anyone who keeps on learning not only remains young, but becomes constantly more valuable regardless of physical capacity. 
Wow, no wonder that guy was a success. Because we need to exercise our mind. We need to continue uh, learning new things. But most of all, we should absolutely never at any point in our Christian life ever stop gaining the knowledge of God's Word. And that's why, you, and you've heard me say it hundreds of times, some of you, that my, the best definition of backsliding that I know of is whenever we stop growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and and you can be able to quote every verse in the Bible. You can be smarter than anybody in the church. You can have a, your entire wall of your office just covered in in, in degrees from different uh, institutions of higher learning and so forth. But the, the the very minute that you stop spending time in God's Word and letting God speak to you, you are regressing. Your your Christian spiritual life is going backwards. We ought to be ever growing because as long as we're in this world, none of us ever reached the full stature of Christ. There's not one of us that can say, "Oh, I'm just like Jesus." <laughs> Uh, we're, look, we're not even close to what he was, so that means there's always room for improvement. And nobody knows everything about anything. Nobody knows everything about anything. That means there's always more that we can learn. And so uh, our, our text uh, illustrates the, the benefit of what he said back in chapter 20. Verse 18, and I'll close. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. That's, that's what we read here. And, and you, you look back at what he said in, in chapter number 20, and he's telling us that success and safety comes from wisdom. And uh, to gain that, we benefit greatly from the counsel of others. Don't ever be too proud to ask somebody else for their counsel. That doesn't mean you believe everything they say. That doesn't mean that you, you know, you just take it as ironclad truth and that you do whatever they tell you to do. But, but you'd be amazed at what you can learn from some people that are not even really trying to teach you anything. Just being willing to sit and to listen to them. And, and there are people that uh, never graduated from Bible college, people, you know, that never taught a Sunday school class. They don't, they don't seem to be far advanced in their Bible knowledge or anything. It's like the old farmer out on the dirt road somewhere. And, and uh, you'd be amazed what he could teach you about life in general. And, and we should never be too proud to go to others for their, for their counsel and to share with them the, the burdens and the needs of our heart. Well, we've got to stop there for tonight. Lord willing, we'll pick up in verse number, what, verse number seven, uh, next week. Wisdom is too high for a fool. He openeth not his mouth in the gate. We'll talk about that then. All right, any, any comment, uh, Brother John? This is a, a classic um, revealing of old Saddam's thing. You know, we were right. Swartzkopf looked at his deployment of troops in his, and the whole left flank, there was nothing out there. Just <coughs> 
then come find out Saddam being the, you know, run desert and all this kind of stuff, he figured nobody would ever go out there because they had no reference points. He didn't know anything about GPS. <laughs> and it's Warstrom looked at that and said, it's unbelievable. And so they just went around, you know, and of course the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He just listened to some people, but we didn't see that. He, yeah. Classic case. Yeah, amen. That's right. S somebody, you know, they they think they've got it all figured out, and, you know, they think got all the answers, and they don't even know what the questions are, so. Anybody else? All right. All right. T oh, Jason. Verse 6 makes me think of the phrase, it takes a village to, to raise a child. Uh, and I don't think you want to get me started on that. <laughs> Go ahead, though. The, 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 the line in, in multitude of counselors, there is safety. Mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned, you know, especially with what I what I brought up before the before the lesson. This, I mean, directly applies if we, whether it's us or our children, if we allow ourselves to surround ourselves. With with the wrong with the wrong types of, of people, right? You know, th those are essentially our counselors. That's where we're going to be getting our information, and it's just going to steer us even deeper into the into the the, the depth of, of sin. But if, if we if we fellowship, if we surround ourselves with with Christian folks that, that live by this word, then they become our counselors. So that when we do have struggles, when we have things that we have to talk about, we're getting the right kind of the right kind of help, and our children That's right. will be able to. Whether or not it's it's my child coming to me for assistance, maybe they don't want to talk to dad, but if dad's friends are here, you know, every day yeah. of the week, you know, every time that we come and fellowship here, maybe one of my kids can pick out Brock or Tim or, or one of my peers that can offer the right kind of counsel. That, the Lord knew what he's doing when he established a church. Absolutely. You know, because we need each other. Absolutely. And uh, yes. so that's, yeah, good. that's a good point. A, a Christian home. A Christian, amen, that's right, absolutely. Yeah, Tim? I just want to say that, you know, God is awesome in how he works too. Is when you brought up the, uh, the thought of the strongest man you knew, and it's funny how he used a guy that's small of stature with a thorn in the flesh. Someone like Paul came to my mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what he would go through and being stoned and in prison, it didn't matter. But that's the strongest person that I can think yeah. of. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. Okay. Let's all stand to be dismissed by prayer. Thank you so much for being here and supporting our Bible study in the church. And we just pray that you would have been blessed in some way. Brother Glenn Boone, would you lead us in prayer, sir? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to be in your house. Father, for the prayer requests that have been made known. Lord, there are so many, Father, that need your healing hand on their body. Father, pray that you would meet those needs according to your will. Father, we pray that we would take these words that we've heard tonight, Father, that we would apply them to our hearts, Lord, that we would seek your wisdom and knowledge in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. Forgive us where we fail you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.